Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This summer season, we are talking about the book Companions in Suffering, Comfort in Times of Loss and Loneliness by Wendy Alsop. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Aaron and me in conversation today are Priscilla Brandon and Rachel Atwell. And I first met Priscilla and Rachel in an early morning fitness class, body pump class, which tells you a little bit, a little something about their personalities and their character. Because they're looking at each other, making faces, but it's true because anyone who gets up regularly before 6 a.m. has some gumption and commitment. But what I really love about the two of y'all is just how kind and welcoming you are. They come with a group of friends and they're, you can tell that their friendship is sincere and it's deep, but they don't just stick with their friends. They're making conversation with other people in the class, helping people get equipment, doing all of that. So they just bring a nice light and spark to our class. And I've appreciated that about the two of you. I want the two of y'all to talk about how you know one another and where your friendship began. So let's see, who did I say you had to say? Priscilla. Priscilla, tell us a little bit more. So I think Rachel probably remembers when we first met more than I do, because she was on staff at the time. Um, She met us, me and my husband, when we first came to Crawford Avenue, and I was super introverted. I still am pretty introverted, but the Lord has definitely grown me in grace in that area. Girl, I'm introverted. No shame in that game. (laughs) But I was so introverted that when we first came to the church, I would um, go hide in the bathroom before the service would start. Also no shame in that game. (laughs) (laughs) I would come to the service. This was early, like first weeks of marriage. Um, My husband finally lovingly told me that I had to come talk to people um, and that I couldn't hide in the bathroom anymore. And so I think Rachel was probably one of the first people that I met our first few weeks at church. But I have no recollection of that. I just wasn't as memorable as Priscilla was to me. So um, (laughs) no, I think just being aware of visitors and different things. We were actually meeting in the gym at the time, I think. Is that correct? Probably, yes. Yeah. So we were doing renovations in our sanctuary. So trying to make guests feel even more welcomed in a not as polished environment. So um, trying to make sure that y'all were had y'all's needs met and stuff. But it was sweet to make a connection with a new family in our church and new area. I would say that that was one thing that drew us to Crawford Avenue is that we were welcomed by so many people the first week we were there, um, which was really, really sweet. So, yeah, there's a sweet community yeah. at Crawford there for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Priscilla, I'm still smiling about hiding in the bathroom and the <laughs> fact that I can, I can relate to that. And, but you just would not know that about mm-hmm. you. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that. Mm-mm. Also side note, do you like loiter in the hand washing area or in the stall? I'm just curious. <laughs> um, you know, you can really stretch it out. <laughs> it just, you take a lot of time in all of the areas. You don't want to tell anybody your secrets because yeah, they might meet true. you in the bathroom and that's then you true. have to socialize. Then they might, all the extroverts will be like, we're going to find her. Yeah. So, oh. I mean, I feel like I always have a 30 minute conversation in the bathroom and people are probably like, um, introvert alert, get her out of here. <laughs> yes. I'm washing hands, like catching up with somebody. You see like five people, you know, and before you know it, you've been in the bathroom 30 minutes talking. <laughs> everybody <laughs> if you're an extrovert us introverts would have been out of the bathroom alone time ago had that happened so. so i'm just curious like how does one pull this off i always feel like i get stopped in the bathroom you're very much an extrovert <laughs> like 51 percent, really and truly like barely over the line I, that is hard to believe that is very hard to believe that's what the test says mm. Facts don't lie. <laughs> you must have been tired the day you took oh the test yeah. that is so true personality i feel like it's so mood driven that's true. Like I had coffee today, so I'm a lot more like extroverted. How about that? That's fun. All right. Well, we're going to find out more about y'all. Are you introverted or extroverted, Rachel? Uh, I always say I'm an 
introverted extrovert. So I enjoy being around people, but I think I recharge on my own. But I enjoy being around people. Okay. Yeah. I just was curious because yeah. we're going to move into our little bio. I'm going to ask you the first things first question. Sure. And so when you respond, give a little bit more information on yourselves and then answer the question. So the first things first question is where's the first place you would choose to go if you're given a day to be alone? Introvert. I didn't realize that question was going to come in there so seamlessly. Love it. All right, Priscilla, kick us off. So I'm Priscilla Brannon. Uh, my husband Chase and I have been married for seven years this summer, and we have two kids: um, Opal, who just turned three, and Er, who will turn he'll turn two July fourth. So the Lord's been really good to us. Yeah, we've been in Augusta seven years, and I've had several di- different mini careers. Um, but now I'm a full time homemaker and mom, and I love every minute of it. And I enjoy doing a lot of things, but reading, playing outside with my kids feeding other people, hanging out with friends, that would be probably up there on the list. I, I tried to come up with a really cute answer for if I had a whole day alone, but I think my really boring answer would be that I would go get a really good cup of coffee somewhere, and then I would go home and turn my phone off and get done all of the things on my to-do list, and then if I had any time left over, I would probably read a book. What book are you reading at the end of this glorious day? I'm reading several books. Um, Praying Together by Megan Hill. Keeper of the Bees by Jean Stratton Porter. Um, I read it every summer. It's just a life-giving book. It's fiction. And then Mama Bear Apologetics. Can't remember who that's by, but I just started that. I'm Rachel Atwell. I'm married to Gary. We'll celebrate 10 years this summer, so we're excited about that. And we have three little ones, Carter, he's five, Haddon, she's three, and Merritt is one. So I stay at home with them full time. I'm thankful to be able to stay at home with them and not have to worry about work outside of the home because there are a lot um, Mm -hmm. in the best possible way. So yeah, so I enjoy hosting in our home. Um, We have our community group once a week and then um, just like having people over for dinners and different things like that. We enjoy going to the park with our kids and being outside and um, just spending time outside so they can enjoy all the things and then also just get them out of the house so they can have fun. And then I, I don't, enjoy cooking necessarily and my husband would probably confirm that but (laughs) I enjoy trying to figure out recipes for our family and that's something that in this season of life especially I think um, God's given me a joy for so I'm thankful for that so your first place oh yes um so this one I probably am going to sound a little bit lazier than Priscilla (laughs) because my to-do list was not on my day to myself. Um, But so I was trying to think of a place and I didn't actually like nail down a place, but I would like a porch swing somewhere Mm. that I can go out in nature, like a botanical garden or something like that. So enjoy being outside and just being, and then also something with good food, like just either takeout or something like that. And if it's like dream wish list, I'm going to say a masseuse is involved as well. Mm-hmm. That was great. Okay. On my day alone, I, I mean, I'll, I don't mind being alone. Extrovert. <laughs> I don't mind being alone. <laughs> oh my word. But I do feel like sometimes fun is doubled if you have a companion. Come on. That's fun. But if it were just me, oh, so often this is not actually too far out of my reality. If on Saturdays, Brad, my husband, will not all like he'll either go downstairs and cook the kids like a king's breakfast 
ridiculousness and like i can hear him downstairs like Shh, don't wake mom up Shh. Mm. so or he'll take the kids to joe bangles is what maggie calls it oh. and, oh, it took she, me a second <laughs> oh my word she's so cute she's four and she started calling it joe bangles when she was really little but now we all say joe bangles because it's hilarious so he'll either take the kids there and just hang out with all the old people in edgefield and just eat buttery biscuits and that's kind of like my morning alone and that probably is maybe maybe like enough alone time for me by then I'm like okay let's go do something fun (laughs) or I don't know I mean yeah but definitely home like if I'm doing something alone I want to be home if I'm going to go do a fun experience I want to bring some fun people I can relate to that yeah yeah experiences are good with people Uh I agree yeah it's hard to go have a real fun experience by myself yeah Mm -hmm. I want to share it yeah quiet space I like to be by myself in quiet spaces quite a bit. And I was thinking, I, I like to be in my home when it's quiet, for sure. Sometimes to take care of things, but more often just to kind of sit and think. And I like to get my things taken care of. And then I like to sit in the midst of taking care of things mm. and sort of just ponder. But if I were to go somewhere, I would go to my husband's mother. So my mother-in-law's obviously treehouse at Fripp. And so when I say treehouse, it sounds like it's up in a tree, but it's not. But it's more like a pedestal home. Mm -hmm. And she just got the best location, in my opinion, almost the best on that island. It's a little, it's not oceanfront. So you've got the oceanfront, which I've always loved. But this is new to me. She looks out on the marsh Mm -hmm. and the way that she, this home faces, you just can't see anything else to the side or in front. It's just this beautiful marsh with the inlet coming in. Mm -hmm. And so you get all the colors of the grasses and when the sun sets it just lights up the sky in a particular way mm-hmm. and lights up everything that you see so it's a really great place to sit and I would take my man there I will I'll say we go there for our anniversary and he can share my quiet space in, in that place we have a good time at so Rip, fun. for sure okay does she have a porch swing <laughs> she does not have a porch okay. swing I was gonna say maybe I want to go there yes <laughs> and then we'll figure it out you could put a hammock <laughs> off okay. the back okay. deck we and we swing out over yeah. that and yeah. call that good okay but she doesn't have a masseuse either but we could work on that we talk about being alone and some of us like it more than others, but I always think it's good to just be alone. I like to be alone, but being alone is good for more than just being alone or being in my own head or with my own thoughts. Mm-hmm. For me, it's really what's encouraging is the ability to remember that I'm in God's presence. Mm-hmm. And sometimes with all that goes on around me, I'm not as aware of that as I am when I am quiet or removed mm-hmm. from some of those things. And maybe you think like I do that a time of being with the Lord in an alone space, you picture it's primarily peaceful. It's an encouraging time. And maybe that sometimes is so much of our ideal that we won't stay focused very Mm -hmm. long in God's presence any other way, uh, particularly if we're sad or hurt or angry or questioning. But how much we really do need the ministry of God's presence in our hurt, uh, particularly as we learn to lament and rest in Him. And that's part of what we've been learning as we've gone through this summer series on companions and suffering, what it is to be in that place and to receive the companionship, not only of other people, but of God himself. In our last episode, we talked about chapters five and six, which were titled Help My Unbelief and Ambiguous Loss. And in Help My Unbelief, we talked about in God's care for all of his people. He has preserved in his word language for our doubts and what it looks like to bring those to him. We talked about Psalm 73. And then when we talked about ambiguous loss, we remembered that ambiguous loss describes the path of grief associated with mourning a person or a thing that is both absent and present. And that was a helpful understanding because a lot of us experience 
experience that. And this week we're talking about chapter seven and eight, which is learning to lament and finding rest. And we're going to start with that learning to lament. And that's what I'm talking about as far as being in God's presence and being in hurt or anger or confusion and not feeling peaceful. What do we do with that? And Wendy opens her chapter, this chapter on learning to lament by telling the story of how the suffering in her life piled up layer upon layer. If you listen to our first episode with her, if you've read her first chapter, you know her story and can imagine and possibly relate to the feeling that she described as one of being an utter freefall. During this, she talks about how she knew that she needed to read the book of Job, which is a book in the Bible filled with lament and cries to God. And she says, this is Wendy, I had read Job before. I'd written about Job. I knew the nuts and bolts of his story about the theology of suffering it teaches, but I couldn't bring myself to start it. It took me weeks from first thinking I needed to sit in Job's story to actually attempting to read it. I liked the book of Job better as a help for someone else who was suffering, offering me encouragement that I could then offer him. I did not like being able to identify personally with Job, particularly in the piling of serious trial upon serious trial, each with their own deep weights of grief. I also knew it came at the end of the book of Job, and I wasn't ready to face that yet. I was still wrestling with feelings of betrayal by God for allowing this unexpected diagnosis on top of the suffering my children and I were already experiencing in the wake of losing our friends and family life in Seattle. In the final chapters of Job, God speaks firmly to him, and Job submitted to God. And I wasn't there yet, but Job was exactly the companion I needed to get to that point, which is the miracle of God's grace and mercy through his word. I needed to fellowship with Job in his tent. I needed to hear the words of his own struggle. I needed him as a guide as I walked through my own suffering, and he can be a helpful companion to you too. So in Job 3, a lot of Job is lament, and we're just picking out a small little portion here. In Job 3, 20 through 26, verses 20 through 26, Job cries out in despair. And if you're listening, I'd encourage you to go ahead and pause and pull that passage of scripture up and look at it, read it, put it in front of you as you listen. It's more helpful when you do. Job gives words for us when we are at a loss for how to pray or to respond to the grievous things in our lives. Scripture leaves us his example. And so I want to know from y'all, as you read that portion of scripture, how does Job's lament help you put words to your own grief? And Rachel, you can start us. Sure. I think reading through it, it reminded me that we can we can and should be honest with God, um, with our thoughts and our feelings. He knows them. But sometimes I think we're afraid to say them out loud because that's wanted like admitting that we don't trust him or something, but he isn't surprised by what we have to say. Um, so I think for me personally, I found it helpful in like vocalizing or writing out my prayers, um, to God for one, I can like process feelings from reality because mm-hmm. sometimes I think like, okay, yes, this is um, a hard situation, but am I exaggerating it? One. So Lord, help me not to be anxious about something that is not true or not real. But then I also am just speaking to God and reminding myself of who he is and who I am in his presence. So obviously I'm, I'm needing of reorienting myself and God delights to hear my need for him. Like he wants me to know that I am a needy person and that, um, he is there, um, to help me. And thankfully, like we don't have to suffer alone. He is our help. We have that in him to cry out to him and acknowledge that. I think that's good. And, um, it's not easy because, It takes time and it takes um, emotions that sometimes are hard to process, but I think he delights in hearing those things. 
I think I would agree with you there um, that sometimes I struggle to find the words to say um, because I don't want to speak ill of the Lord and I don't want him to think that I don't trust Mm -hmm. him, even though he knows that I'm struggling with that in that moment. So my dad had uh, ALS, which is called Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, It's a degenerative nerve disease where um, you lose the ability to speak, um, to swallow, to walk, all gross and fine motor skills, um, and eventually the ability to breathe. It all happens kind of as a progression, but your mind still stays very sharp. I promise this relates to our answer. Um, So he endured with that for almost five years, and five years is a long time to sit and think about why these things are happening. And I'm sure it was very hard for him to think on these things constantly while not being able to verbalize them um, or speak about them. Um, So he passed away the month after um, I got married. And here we are seven years later, um, and I'm still finding areas of my life where I struggle to trust the Lord and understand why that was a part of our story. Um, So in my own pride, I think that I can just kind of muscle through and keep on praising and it'll all be fine. Um, and I ignore the reality around me as long as possible, which is why I think the the book of Job is so helpful because the true reality is that we have a God who loves us and he's felt all of the emotions that we have felt and he still didn't sin. So because he's totally God and totally man, that's such a comfort to me. So Job's lament here helps to remind me that these feelings, even though they're hard or difficult or overwhelming, that they aren't bad that they aren't necessarily always sinful and that I don't have to shy away from them um, in my own life or in the lives of other people who are suffering Mm -hmm. that I might be sitting with. Mm -hmm. When he says in chapter three, for the thing that I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. There are times when like the struggles and the chaos and the hurt feel so overwhelming um, that I have found at times that I'm just sitting on my kitchen floor thinking, oh my goodness, that thing has happened. That thing that I was dreading, that thing that I was like, please don't let this happen. It has now happened. Um, And so I'm so grateful that the Lord included the words of Job in the Bible so that we have those to relate to when there's not a thing that we can do except pray and weep and turn your heart to the Lord, turn my heart to the Lord to accept that new reality. And it reminds me of like in biblical times when they were mourning, they sat in ashes and they sat in sackcloth and they didn't like try to escape on social media or escape to the gym or escape on vacation to try to like not feel those things. Mm -hmm. They set aside a specific time and behavior and no, we are going to sit here and we're going to work through these things. Mm -hmm. They prayed and seek to the Lord then in that exact emotional state. And so that's just so helpful Mm -hmm. and relatable to my own heart. And just honest, as you're sitting there describing that, I think both of you kind of hit on the fact that our limit is honest before the Lord. Like he already knows where we are. He already knows that he didn't create us to be experiencing suffering and death and sadness. And so it's honest for us to take that to him and just experience the healing that he has to offer. Well, and and how long Job sits in that, it's not a short period of time. And I do think we feel that tendency to say, okay, even if I'm going to admit that I feel this, I can't hang out here very long. 
you know, there's things to do. And I don't like to feel sad. And, and people who feel happy and optimistic and energetic get more done and take care of business. And that's our goal in life, as opposed to really sit there before the Lord and not do anything that we would count to be productive, except crying out to him. So the fact that the majority of Job is that, and his friends don't like it either. They, mm-hmm. they sit with yeah. him for a short period of time, mm-hmm. right? And then they're like, that's about all of this we can handle, Job. They think that they know the answer to why. And they put that on Job. And don't we as people want to do that? I want to have some rationale for your suffering so I can make sure I avoid it. And mm-hmm. there's got to be some reason that we can put our finger on so that I don't have to go through it. If your marriage is falling apart or if your kid has gone off the rails or if you've lost your job or whatever, you must have done A, B, C, or D. And we'll get to this later. But Job mm-hmm. didn't do anything that caused his suffering. That was something that the Lord had sovereignly ordained for different reasons that we'll get to. But the other component is the fact that part of Job's struggle is that his friends are pretty sure that he's done some type of sin, like he's spoken against the Lord. He must have done something wrong. And if he'd only repent and get it right, then the Lord would bless him because their theology is you do things right and the Lord blesses you. You do things wrong and the Lord does not. And we've talked about this on other episodes. What does she call that? Wendy call that? Oh, it's a really Karen? long title. Yeah. But it's basically evangelical conservatism, conservativism's <laughs> however you pronounce that word, prosperity gospel. So we we'll boil may, it down to like act right, get good stuff. Yeah, act right, <laughs> get good stuff. But we wouldn't, she, I like this. She makes the point that those of us who would not really go in for TV evangelists, mm-hmm. like that type of prosperity gospel, give this, do this, the Lord will exceedingly abundantly bless you. Like, oh, that's dumb. But we do believe act right, do right, make good choices. And if you make good choices and if you are obedient, then your life will turn out like this. And it doesn't mean that there's not wise choices to make and it's not good to know what those are and to be glad for those. But the belief is if I do all of those, then tragedy won't touch me. And I think that's pretty much what Job's friend's theology was. Mm -hmm. If you do right, morally right, God is just and he will honor that and he will bless you. If you're suffering, you must have done something wrong. And so in that, Job really finds this need to say, I've got to tell you, I am righteous. And by righteous, he doesn't mean sinless, but I have Mm. followed in the ways of the Lord. This isn't me turning from him. This is something else. Have y'all ever in that moment when you're suffering felt the need to justify your righteousness. Maybe it's to somebody else or maybe it's to yourself or maybe it's before the Lord or maybe it calls it into question for you. Have you had that thought? I think for me, it was kind of the opposite. There were people who, at least in the instance of suffering that I was talking about earlier, there were people who were trying to trying to justify for us, for me, specifically for my dad, which brought up the question of, how could a good God let something happen because this man is so good, like Mm. this man is so righteous, how could the Lord do something for them? I don't know that I necessarily was asking that. I probably did at some point. Um, But it was just so interesting to experience other people asking that. And then when, you know, when the suffering ended in death, they were surprised that that was the the ending to that. So I I think that when you do that, it can cause you to think that God is not righteous or sovereign, and it can cause the sufferer to think that. So while I haven't necessarily had to think that in my own life, I watched that question kind of be twisted a different way. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Okay. And I've heard that same that same thing. It's not that we're going to put the blame on the person involved, but we're going to say what kind of good God would allow that to take place. And that just can't be or shouldn't be. So, yeah. It seems like Mm -hmm. a lot of times you'll hear that almost as a, 
a connection point. Like they're trying to be empathetic, but mm. it's just maybe not helpful. Mm. Would you say that's true for you? Yeah. Oh, it's very true. And it isn't helpful. And I know I've probably done that as well, mm. but it's definitely not helpful. Because when you're already thinking, you already, if you're the one in, in suffering, you're thinking, okay, because we all, like, we do struggle with that prosperity gospel of, okay, what did I do wrong? Like, what did I do to deserve this? So I think it just shifts your brain to a theology that's not true. That's not what the mm. gospel says. Like, that's not truth. Yeah, for me, I I think I have wondered, like, what did I do? Or is there something going on that is causing this? And then sometimes I'll try to convince myself, well, I'm not as bad as this person, but they're not struggling. Like, so why is it me? And But then I remind myself I'm comparing myself to the wrong person. Like, we're not called to compare ourselves to others around us. Mm-hmm. And um, the only one we're called to compare ourselves to is the one who suffered and did it perfectly. I know in the one of the things she said in the book, she said, Jesus experienced that level of pain and worse, not to save his own life, but to save mine. And to think about that he was a sufferer up until death. Like he didn't try to prove his righteousness or anything to those around him, um, but he yielded himself to the Father's will, like ultimately to death. And it, do I have that same yielding, I guess? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I know I don't, but like, may I? Like, God help me to have that position of. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you're doing it, but help me. Like like we talked about in just the last question, like help me see that you have good purposes in this no matter what, even though it doesn't feel good. Yeah, I think another thing, like she talked about in the chapter, said you didn't bring this on yourself, like the suffering, we didn't bring this on ourselves. And I think it's good to remember that. She talks about... Um, Discipline is distinctly different from punishment. It means training in righteousness. And so in those hard moments where I'm called to remember that suffering is for good, it's to help me be more like Christ. And that doesn't always feel good, but I, that's the goal. That's what we can hope for, the refining process to be more like Christ. And that's just something we have to surrender to, um, even though it's hard to yield ourselves and to yield others um, to that, but I just pray that we can and that others will see that as a testimony of grace in our lives. When you think with, with Job, what you're saying, the difference between discipline mm-hmm. and punishment. What you say, punishment mm-hmm. Yeah, that it wasn't punishment, but he was growing in his knowledge of God, that God yeah. had something that he intended to show him, but not just to show him but to show his glory in a particular way through Job, but not Job as a pawn. In that, he definitely um, was giving Job eventually an understanding of him that was so much greater, a yielding mm-hmm. to him that he didn't have before he before he started. And that was done in love. And, and you see that even in Job's wrestling in that book, he does have this place where he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he wouldn't have known that was Christ yet or who Jesus was or what he was going to do. But he knew God enough to know that he was in need of redemption and that it must come from the God of the universe. He lives and at the end he will stand on the dust. And even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him and not as a stranger. My heart longs within me. So there is that he does see 
the Lord at the end. He does see who God is and that's what his soul longs for. And so, yeah, we are being refined to be like Jesus and we're being promised to see him, to know him, to experience him as our redeemer. And oftentimes my mind and my heart are so dull in that, that it maybe doesn't seem like it offers me much Mm -hmm. comfort in the midst of suffering. But I think as we grow in our understanding of what that looks like, even as we walk through suffering, um, it becomes more uh, solid to us. Well, Wendy closes this chapter by saying, In grace, our Father in heaven eternally preserved the sto- story of Job for all who suffer in Christ today. And God truly has not left us as orphans to walk our path of suffering alone. As we sit with Job in his tent of suffering and listen to his lament, we are freed from the dangerously deceptive heresy of the prosperity gospel. That's what we were talking about. That has us worshiping the gifts rather than the giver. Job helps free us from the demoralizing questions we face in our own suffering, like, what did I do to deserve this? Job was a righteous man, and his suffering wasn't because of his sin, but to show the worthiness of God to Satan in the heavenly realm. Furthermore, Job rightly lamented his losses before God, and Scripture affirms multiple times that he didn't sin in doing so. To all the things that we're kind of touching on there, I like the way that she summarizes those. So as Wendy is walking us through this uh, narrative of Job, we see Job crying out. I also love how she references multiple times in her book. If you can't read it, just listen to it. Like she's acknowledging that when you're in the pits of despair, that maybe you can't read whole long passages of scripture or even her book. Like she's like, break out the audio book or whatever. I love that she's Mm -hmm. giving a nod to people that are coloring book. Or the coloring book. Yeah. yeah. I think she's just facing the reality of like when you're in a tough spot, like you probably don't have the wherewithal to sit down and break out your Hebrew reader and just knock it out in one afternoon. Well, and by the coloring book, she talks about there's portions of scripture on that book and yeah. she just colors that. And, yeah. and she she talked about when she was with us on that podcast, she could just take little little pieces but how important Mm -hmm. those were to her but anyway yeah yeah. just meditating at and consuming god's word on a way that where you can where you are able to at that point i love that she's just saying just show up and do what you can basically Mm -hmm. we're not trying to read the whole bible in a day kind of thing so i love that that she's acknowledging that to go ahead and experience the fullness of job's lament like read it through and feel the weight of a situation just don't jump to the end i feel like she encourages us several times to Um, not just bounce to the end and say okay all is well the fortunes are restored and she even mentions like a lot of us in our suffering haven't seen our fortunes restored you know we haven't seen the financial bounce back we haven't seen the spouse renewed or the child that was lost or whatever like you know Job we get to see his full story come back around but many of us are still in the thick of suffering and I love that she's inviting us to see Job as our companion and um, voice our own limit with with him so as we hop over to chapter eight wendy starts to describe how um, her companion job not only taught her to lament but also to rest so this is a quote from her book during this agitated waiting period as i paced wrestled through things i love that she's throwing things and admitting it that's Mm -hmm. that's fun Mm -hmm. we love you wendy That's right. <laughs> and she and cried out to God. I reached the moment in Job's story when God finally spoke to Job, a moment that disturbed me greatly when I first read it years before. The longer I've suffered, though, the more I realized the essential necessity of this moment between any who suffer and the God they place their faith in. I experienced this moment as Job did, and it was the doorway through which I finally found rest. So you may be wondering what happened. 
That moment she was referring to was when God spoke to Job and revealed his majesty and power to him in such a way that though on the surface, his words did not seem particularly comforting. Like she was looking for some of those Psalm 23 type comforts of how the Lord is near and he's our shepherd and our God. But those words bring what Job desperately needed, surrender and trust in the almighty, the great I am, that he is worthy of worship even in our suffering. So what images inspire you with the majesty and power of God? What words do you have? to describe that i think manna in the bible is something that's really helpful to me um just the the concept of the lord providing daily and providing exactly what they needed even when it didn't look like something that they thought was what they needed and even when it was something that the israelites didn't really even they weren't even really thankful for it at times so just the idea of of manna from heaven, of the Lord providing everything that I need every day, even the food that I get out of the freezer section, um, which seems like such a trivial thing. But that just that realization of um, knowing that I can't do anything in my own strength, even grocery shopping, something as simple as that, which I think in the midst of suffering, I, I do like stand in awe of the Lord's creation. But when you're in the midst of suffering and your brain's so tired, just knowing that you can go to the grocery store and get something out of the freezer section and it will be there because the Lord's providing that for you just is really helpful. So something like, I think just like creation, like we talked about um, earlier, um, nature and just reflecting on like even the rocks cry out and thinking about the wind that's blowing, like he's in control over all those things. And I think about, my children and like how I've been able to watch them like from babies all the way up until now and just see how um, God's just knit them together and is continually like just developing them and growing their minds and their bodies and their abilities. And it's just such a testimony that he thought of all of that, like that he is not a God of just like cookie cutter things, but we're all different and um, nature and creation is different and so unique and intricate. And even the smallest things that we take for granted are just like a testimony of like his creativity and his power. And so just like thinking about that, that's the God we pray to is so humbling. Like, okay, he's got this, he's got us. That's great. And Wendy kind of talks about that, how he keeps the planets in orbit, just how her math background, I think she's like, I understand this a little bit, but only like a little bit, but I can see that his goodness, his majesty is just so much bigger than I can even begin to imagine. So just to kind of double click on that a little bit, we kind of already covered some of this, but just when we think about God's majesty and he's holding creation together and he is way bigger than we can fathom. So how does that affect the way that we think about his direction and care over our lives? So um, I'm going to quote her book a little bit because it was so humbling um, when I read this. It said, my faith says that God created our world and hung the stars in the sky. And maybe God was doing something similar in my own life as he holds the constellations. Maybe I could trust God with my life as I trust him to hold the solar system together. Um, So for me, when I stop and think about that, that I remember he's the God that created and is upholding all things by his hands, it just helps me remember he's got us. Like, Mm -hmm. and sometimes I forget that, that he is listening to our prayers, even though they're maybe not being answered. But just like we don't understand how he's holding up the constellations, he's doing it. 
Like he's there. Um, nothing is a surprise to him. And if he wants to, he can overcome it. Like just like that, just like he spoke to the seas on the boat with the disciples. Um, he spoke and it stopped and he could do that in our lives. So to trust that, but then also to remember that he's choosing not to right now. Um, so, um, something else she said, even in the season of unanswered prayers that last a remainder of my life, my faith says that God is still good and still worthy of my praise. And so I want my life to say that to others and to Satan that, that I trust God, that I do trust him. And I trust that he's got all of this in his powerful hands, um, that I don't have to worry even though my heart wants to, even though my heart wants to doubt and say, you can't absolutely know what you're doing, but he does. And then I know I'm quoting her book a lot, but this chapter was just especially helpful. Just, she said, faith in the midst of our distress, the character of God is affirmed and a great blow is given to Satan in the heavenly realm. And I thought that was just, just so helpful in remembering that God's character is affirmed. He's good and he's trustworthy and he's in control. So I pray that through suffering, and it's scary to say this currently, but then also for future suffering that we have, like that we will trust him, that we we are pictures of grace and that we are um, not doubting his sovereign hand, so. That's, I love how you're drawing that analogy out of how this, we, we easily profess that the solar system is not an accident, that our God, our good creator God designed it and did it just like he pleased mm. and it's good and that we too are his good creation. I was, it was a timely read last night. I was reading with our kids the, um, I think I forget what it's called, but the Jesus Storybook Bible where it's the Sermon on the Mount and it was talking about how God loves to hear our needs and meet us in our anxieties and he welcomes those and I think that that's kind of what you're speaking mm. to is that the, uh, the things that pass our way that are suffering, that our hardships are not on accident. And he wants to continue to hear from us and meet us in our needs. For me, I think springtime is always encouraging, especially when um, I'm in the midst of something that seems like it's going to be never ending. Um, just the whole concept of the seasons of winter, that winter does not last forever, mm-hmm. that springtime always comes, whether doesn't matter what I do and it doesn't matter what anyone else does or whatever situation I'm in in life I can trust that the Lord will bring spring and that the flowers will return and in a way you know that reminds us of Jesus like Jesus is going to return and so this suffering is not forever it is not eternal even if it is for now um, I, I know and I trust that Jesus is returning and will make all things new um, so for me that's a good reminder Yes, the springtime is so good. What about you, Amber? What I love with what y'all are saying and what even the Lord says about himself in creation is, is Job, look at creation. Contemplate, if you would. Where were you when I formed the stars or when I did all of these miraculous, glorious things? Where were you? Well, of course, the answer is nowhere. <laughs> I was dust. Uh, I wasn't even dust. Dust wasn't even there yet when you began all of this. And so it's not as if God is is somehow defending like he has any insecurity of ego but just job you've got to understand who you are so you can appreciate who i am and so you can be who you i have created you to be and worship to me and all of the goodness that there is with that and he reveals that in creation but i love that he tells us what creation means through his word so there are those two things there's that physical sight we look up and we see the stars of the constellations and we think 
wow, those are being held together. But we know they're being held together because the Lord has told us that in his word. So I love just bringing all of that together, that place to look to the Lord in his word for lament, but then also for rest. Priscilla and Rachel, thank you both for joining us today. Listeners, we hope you'll join us again in two weeks for our fifth and final episode in the summer series. Take a stargazing. I'm way too excited about that. Or to the masseuse. Rachel Balducci and Gabby Brecker will be joining us to talk about the final chapters in our summer read, Companions in Suffering. We hope you've enjoyed reading along with us, and we hope you'll listen in next week. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again. A season of clear shining to cheer it after the rain.